how many of you know that sometimes God makes you wait? You ask for something, and he doesn't give it to you right away. You pray for something, and you don't see the answer right away. Some of you maybe have been praying for things for 30 years, 40 years. You've been, you've been praying for a physical situation, a financial situation, a relational situation. Some of you young people in here are maybe waiting for God to bring you the right, the right spouse. Uh, some of you old people in here are waiting for God to change your spouse. Because <laughs> if, you're, if you're married to someone, you got the right spouse, okay? So that's the one God wants you to be with. But maybe you're just, you've been, some of your prayers is you've been praying for your spouse. And God's making you wait. It's not happening. Maybe some of you in here have kids. And, and you're praying for your kids. Some of you have teenagers. We're, we're praying for you. I promise. I've got teenagers. Please pray for me. You know, and so you're, you're praying for something in your teen, in your, the lives of your teens. I know for, for Tracy and I right now in our life, the biggest thing we pray for are our kids. We're praying that they continue to honor God, that they make God-honoring decisions. We're praying that they have good, friend, good friendships. We're praying for the people that our kids are discipling. Both of our kids disciple other kids, younger kids. We pray for their discipling relationships. So most, I would say 80% of our prayers are spent praying for our kids. I don't know if that's selfish or not. I'm just saying and we're praying for God to do something in their lives. We're, praying for, we're continuing to pray for God to show up in their lives. And God is showing up, and sometimes he makes us wait. You know, we pray for certain scenarios or situations, and, and sometimes God makes us wait. And sometimes that can be really confusing. God doesn't always make sense because a lot of us, as we pray for things, then we're saying, well, if I were God, I would answer this prayer. Or I wouldn't be praying it, Right? If, if, I had, if I got to play God for a day, I would answer all my prayers, and maybe I'd even answer some other people's prayers, too, if I got around to it. The truth is, sometimes God makes you wait. So I'm going to ask this question before I, before I share a few scenarios this morning. I'll have them up on the screen. And I'm going to ask this question. I want, you to, I want you to think about this question for a second before we dig into Scripture. And we're going to be in John chapter 11 today, so if you have Bibles or your Bible apps, you're welcome to, to start turning there. But I want to ask this question first. What are you waiting for? I don't want you to think about anyone else this morning. Sometimes we can do that. We can think about someone else and what they're going through. This would be a perfect sermon for them, and maybe that's true. So you can share this with them later. But for today, I just want you to, I want you to ask this question of yourself. What are you waiting for right now? Because I think if you can get this thing in your mind, then the things that I share with you, some of the insights from the Bible that I share with you this morning are going to make more sense and have more of an impact on your life. I don't want this to go in one ear and out the other. So what are you waiting for? Again, maybe young people, you're waiting for the right person. I remember when I was in grad school, I started thinking about, I wonder who I'm going to marry. I, I hadn't dated much up until then, and, and, I, and I started praying for my future spouse, and, and I waited, and I kept my eyes open, but I wasn't, I wasn't really seeing anything. I wasn't seeing what God wanted, and... And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and that was my big prayer. So maybe some of you young people are in that place. I, I hope you're in that place. Young people, if you're, if you're in that you know, college age, I, I hope that you're, one of the things you pray regularly for is your future marriage. I think it's good. I think it's godly to do that. You know, for 
Adam, when he was ready to give Adam a wife, he put Adam to sleep. And then Adam woke up, and he had a woman in front of him. He's like, wow, that's cool. But God doesn't do it like that anymore. Um, so I would really recommend that you just start praying. And, uh, because God will begin to change your heart just like he begins to work for someone else. But it might take years. It took me years. I wasn't married till I was 26. What are you waiting for? Some of you, some of you are maybe parents. And again, you're waiting for God to work in a relationship, and you're either in your, in your marriage or in your kids, and you're praying for your kids. And I want you to have that in mind. And the, the, the point of today's message isn't to stop praying for these things. I mean, the truth is that if you're wondering what you're waiting for, some of you aren't very self-aware, if you're wondering what you're waiting for, then, then ask it another way. What are you praying for? Because usually what you're praying for is what you're waiting for. You know, God wants us to do more than just pray for our needs, but we tend to do that. He wants us to praise him and give thanks to him, and he wants to celebrate with him, but that doesn't, that doesn't always work out. For many of us, we pray for what we're waiting for. God, I pray for this situation. I pray for that situation. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you to start thinking this morning, what is it that I'm waiting for? Some of you had that answer right away. You're like, get on with it. I want to learn today. Some of you still need to Get that in your mind. What are you waiting for? Whether relationally or financially or emotionally or spiritually. Maybe the, one of the reasons that you're here today is because you're not satisfied in life. You know, this whole series we're going to be talking about where God, when God doesn't meet our expectations. Another way to say when God doesn't make sense is when God doesn't meet your expectations. You have an expectation of God and he doesn't come through with what you're expecting from him. Maybe that's why Jesus said of the rich young, of the rich man, he said, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because I think when people have it all going for them, they don't seek God many times because they think they've got everything under control. But you're all here. So that probably means you're waiting for something. Many of us are waiting for something, and some of you might be here today and you're brand new to this and you don't know much about the Bible. We're so glad that you're here, and, and this message is for you, because I think God uses waiting, and the waiting season is good. I want to say that again before we get into this. The waiting season is good. I know it's hard, it's hard to accept that. It, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to receive that, but it's true. The waiting season is good, and if you read the Bible, you'll just see people waiting and waiting and waiting on God, so it's not something new. It's something that God always does, and it teaches us who's really in control in our lives and in the world. So what are you waiting for? And I'm going to share with you four scenarios, four statements that all start with sometimes. And I think one or two of these scenarios apply right to your situation. And I want you, as with the situation in mind, that thing that you're waiting for, the thing that you've been praying for, I want you to consider which one of these is God trying to speak to me today? Number one, here's the first statement. Sometimes God does for strangers what he hasn't yet done for you. You know, you, you think about the, the person that you know, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a, it's a friend or a relative, a brother or a sister, a brother-in-law, right? Where they've got the bigger house and they've got the better job and they've got the nicer wife and they've got the, you know, taller kids and whatever, whatever it is, you're praying for, and you look at them and you say, why? 
I, God, I love you more than that person. Why are you giving that person that? I remember years ago when I was at the Huntsman Center because they thought I had cancer. I didn't. I survived. You looked concerned. I just want you to know everything turned out okay. But I thought I had cancer and I had to go under the knife and I had this surgery and before we even knew it wasn't cancer and that everything was going to be okay and I was going to turn out fine. We, were, we, would look at, we would look at people. We would look at the world. And I'll be honest with you, as we prayed in those weeks, we prayed for healing and we waited. We prayed for the answer and we didn't have it for several weeks. And we would look, in those few weeks, we would look around at other people. And in my heart, I wouldn't say this out loud, but in my heart I was thinking, why doesn't that person have cancer? I thought I, thought I was your favorite, God. I started a church, and I'm in ministry. Steve and Katie are in ministry. And sometimes, maybe some of you have felt this way before if you've been serving God for a while. You're like, why, why did my kids turn out that way? We tried to raise them in the Lord. We tried to help them pursue God, and why are they struggling? And these other people's kids, or maybe you look here and you see some of these young, I love coming up to Logan to see these, these young people in a couple weeks, to see these young people when they come back for, for school. I love to see just these, young, these first few rows filled with young people worshiping God. And some of you maybe are sitting here and you've got kids in college or kids who are out of college, and you're like, I wish my kid was there. And some of you parents are praying for that and waiting for that and saying, God, we did everything we can. Why is some, others, some other person's kid raising their hand? And some of these kids here, don't, their parents aren't, don't even love Jesus. And the truth is sometimes God does for strangers what he hasn't even yet done for you. That's just a truth. And it's hard. And I think this for some of us is what makes it so emotionally difficult. And that's exactly what happened in John chapter 11. So there's this family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And they were great friends of Jesus. They were, we, we don't have all the details, but we know they were like really close friends of Jesus. And in, in John chapter 11, it says that Lazarus was sick. And they, you know, apparently it was a, kind of a big enough deal that, that Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus and, and said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Okay, so this is someone that Jesus really cared about. And this isn't just wishful thinking, like, Lord, your dear friend is, like, your best friend. No, this was, she was being truthful. She wasn't trying to be manipulative. Like, Lazarus was one of Jesus' great friends. Mary and Martha were great. He had been to their home before. He had a close relationship with them. And Mary and Martha knew what was going on and what Jesus had been doing. And if, you can even just see it in John. In, in John chapter 5, if you just, if you, if you thumb back a couple of pages, Jesus heals an official son. It was this, it was this guy that, that came up to Jesus and he said, hey, my, my, my little boy is going to die. And Jesus says, this is in chapter four, Jesus says, go back home, your son will live. I mean, he didn't make this official wait 10 seconds. In fact, it says that the official turned around and went back. He just believed him and he turned around and he started, and on his way home his servant ran to meet him and says, your son's fine, he's healed, everything's great. I mean, he literally, Jesus healed him the moment the official asked for it. Now this official was a politician in a culture where politicians were the rich guys. So just follow with me here because I'm getting angry just thinking about it. 
This guy didn't know Jesus. Who knows if he even really believed in God or if he was just desperate for God. And I know a lot of pagans who cry out to God in their desperation and Jesus has the gall to answer his prayer right away. What the heck? Right? Sometimes God does for strangers what he hasn't yet done for for you. You look around and you say, really God, that guy? You, you blessed that guy with that thing, and I've been asking for that blessing for 20 years. And then in chapter 5, he heals a lame man. In chapter 6, he feeds 5,000. All, all they wanted was a free meal. He didn't know any of them, probably. They're all just total consumers. Just chase him around like, like, like he's the, the coolest thing right now, and, and they're bandwagoners. That's what I like to call them. They're bandwagoners, right? They're, you know, now... I know we have somebody wearing a Patriots jersey this morning, but I know he's from New England, okay? But all the rest of these Patriots fans around the country are bandwagoners. You're like, really, God, you're going to bless a Patriots fan? One more Super Bowl for the Patriots? What about the Browns, you know? Some of you Cleveland people, you need to say, That's, you got it. That's what I've been waiting for. It's a Super Bowl win. And so Mary and Martha know this story, and they know Jesus, and they know how generous he is, and they know how he answers these, these requests. And, and so they, they say, Lord, your friend is very sick. And then it says in verse 5, back in chapter 11, so although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And that right there, some of you are like, okay, I feel that. And you're like, he hasn't stayed where he was for two days. He stayed where he was for two years. He hasn't done anything for two decades. I've been praying for this thing for two decades. And God still hasn't answered my prayer. And again, the truth is sometimes God does for strangers what he hasn't yet done for you. And that is so frustrating. We read on in the story, and in this particular story, here's the next point, is that sometimes God waits just to show everyone how powerful he is. In some situations, not in every situation, but in some situations, the reason God, God waits, especially for those that he loves, is because he's going to display his power to those he loves. And that's what happened in John 11. Back to this story. So it says, finally, two days later, verse 7, finally Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's go back to Judea. I love this story. We don't have time for all of this because Steve's here and he always used up most of my time. But, <laughs> but I encourage you to go read John 11 for yourself. But it's so funny, the interaction that they have, and, and Jesus says in verse 11, he says to the disciples, now, Lazarus has already died. They don't know it. Lazarus is already dead. Jesus knows it, and Jesus knew it all along. That's why he waited, because he wanted to show everyone how powerful he is. And he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the, the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better, like, sleep is good if you're sick. Sleep is good. And I, my, I always, it doesn't say who said that. I think it was Peter. I'm pretty sure it was Peter who said that. Because it says they thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that he had died. And one of my favorite verses right here. So, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, you morons. My, my translation right there. But he says this, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe. See, he's still, in his relationship with those he loves, God treats, God treats those he loves differently 
than he treats everyone else. Because he's trying to show us something. And so he said, I'm going to do something here. In fact, he says earlier in verse 4, he says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So if you don't know the story, Jesus goes back. He says this, this quote many of you have heard before. It's from this story in verse 25. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he is dead, will live. And he wasn't just talking about Lazarus, what he was about to do, which was really cool. He was talking about the ultimate resurrection. And so he went to the, he went to the grave, he was, went to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, and everyone was crying and weeping. And the Bible, there's so much great stuff here. The Bible says that, that a deep anger welled up within him, and it's kind of confusing why that would be, but I think it's because he knows that sin results in death, and, and the reason that we experience death and loss and brokenness in our world is because of sin, and God's angry about that. So some of you need to hear that, that God is, even in his waiting, he's still angry about the thing that has brought brokenness into your life. He's angry about it. He's not indifferent to it. He's angry about it. And then, of course, there's this verse that everyone should memorize, verse 35, Jesus was standing there among all of them, and Lazarus is buried in the tomb, and, and all these people are weeping, and he sees Mary and Martha weeping, and the Bible just says Jesus wept. Real, man, real men weep. He wept. He was so bro- He knew what he was about to do, and yet he still wept because he, he hates it when his people experience brokenness. And you need to know that in, in, your, in your waiting that God is still weeping with you in that time. And then, of course, if you don't know the story, it's a cool one. He goes to the stone, and he says, roll the stone away, and they rolled it away, and the Bible says that, it, that, his, that his body stinketh. That's the King James version of it. I love the King James of that one. It's, it stinketh. That's a great fancy way to say it really stunk to high heaven. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus came out. And all the people there were like, who is this man? And sometimes God waits to show up so that he could show everyone in your world just how powerful he is. And maybe God is going to use whatever the thing is that you're waiting for right now. Maybe God is still going to use that for his own glory, for his own purposes, so that when he does show up, people are like, who is this God that you waited for? Who is this God that you trusted all along? And maybe God will receive glory through it, and I pray that he would in some of your situations, because he wants to. And here's the third thing. Sometimes God wants to do something in you more than he wants to do something for you. You know, as human beings, we can, so many times we can only have this perspective that, God, I need you to do this for me. I need you to do this for me. Like my son, AJ, when he was younger, we'd go to, we'd go to Target and he would, we were just getting a loaf of bread, but he was just like, Dad, could we just go, please go see the Hot Wheels I promise you I won't ask for one. I just want to see them, right? Sin, right? That's sin. <laughs> and I, you know, because I'm the nice parent, I would relent and I would go. That was supposed to be a little bit funny. So you know I'm the nice parent. You know that wasn't a joke. So I'd bring him, I'd say, AJ, I'm not going to get you a Hot Wheel. He said, no, I won't ask. I promise. But we'd get over there and he just can't help himself. Dad, can I just, this one, it's just $1.99. Could I please, please, please have this one? Could I please, please, please have this one? And, and of course, I want to buy it for him. But more than getting something for him, I want 
him to learn something about the reality of life, which is you don't get everything you always ask for. So I'm more interested in something in him, developing patience and character, than buying something for him, even though I love him. And so I do what a, what a good, godly dad says. Ask your mom. You know? <laughs> so I don't have to be the bad guy, right? And everybody's happy then. But the truth is that's how God works in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes his waiting, sometimes the reason he's having you wait is because he's developing character in you. He's developing patience in you. He's, he's more interested in developing the fruit of the Spirit in you than he is in giving you the answer to your simple request. And I love one of the best examples of this is in 2 Corinthians 12. This is the Apostle Paul. Talk about one of God's favorites. He had to be. And in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this thing he calls the thorn in his flesh, and we don't really know what that is. The Bible doesn't ever say specifically what that is. It could have been a physical thing or an emotional thing or a mental health thing or a relationship. He wasn't married, so it wasn't his wife. We know that the thorn in the flesh wasn't his wife. But he says this, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so here, Paul is praying praying for God to take away this thorn in the flesh and, and God wouldn't answer it. God wouldn't take that thorn in the flesh away and, and the reason is because God was more interested in doing something in Paul, developing Paul's character, developing Paul's dependence on God rather than just doing something for Paul. And some of you today need to hear this, that the waiting season that you're in is good because God is doing something in you before he wants to do something for you. And there's one more scenario that I need to throw out there because I don't think this sermon would be complete without it. The last point is just this. Sometimes God doesn't want to do what you want. Sometimes we pray and we ask and we wait and we, and we storm the throne room of God and maybe even sometimes it's a good thing in our own pea brains. We think this seems like a good thing. This seems like something you would want to give me, God. And sometimes, God just doesn't want to do what you want. Sometimes we pray, and we're waiting for something that's not in the will of God. And I, it's hard because, you know, obviously, if you're praying for something that's against God's word, God's revealed will, then that's an easy one. But many times, we're praying for something that seems to align with God's word and his will, and it doesn't seem to be unreasonable, and it seems to be a godly enough request, and sometimes God just doesn't want to do what you want. And these are times where you just have to say, you're God, I'm not. You're in control, I'm not. And that's why it was so hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because we can get fooled by the illusion of riches and the illusion of success, the illusion of happy times, and we can, we can begin to get the wrong message that, hey, I'm in control. <laughs> That I'm, I'm God. But I think for all of us in the waiting season, God is always trying to teach that, that he's God and that we're not. And the best example of this, for, because some of you maybe have a hard time receiving this, so I, I want to I bring you the example from the clearest, most godly person in all of Scripture, Jesus himself at the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed this before he went to the cross. 
Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. And he said it. He told the Father, I don't want to go to the cross. He wasn't excited about going through the suffering and the pain of going to the cross. And so he prayed the prayer, and this is legitimately the prayer that Jesus prayed, but I love the second part of the prayer. And this, is, this speaks to the attitude that we should have. Even when we pray, the message today isn't to stop praying for what, what you want. That's not the message. The message is to pray like Jesus. He said, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And if Jesus can pray a prayer like that, and Jesus is God himself, how much more should we who are not God, nor will we ever be God, how much more should we pray with that attitude? God, you're God and I'm not. I don't know what you're teaching me in this waiting time, but God, I want to learn it, and I want to sit at your feet, your will, not mine. And if God the Father didn't answer this prayer for Jesus, his son, his one and only son, then sometimes God won't answer your prayer the way you want either. And it's because he's God and you're not. Today we're going to close our time together with communion. And I think this is such a fitting thing to close with today because the cup of suffering that Jesus prayed would be taken away is what we celebrate in communion. When we, every first Sunday of the month, we always come together and we remember. We have that cup. This morning the, the cup and the bread is at the back here for the lower level and, and up in the upper level. It's where it always is. And so we want to just invite you, if you're followers of Jesus, to take communion with us today. And the way we do it here is we take that little wafer and we, we dip it in the cup, the cup of suffering that Jesus didn't take away from Jesus, or that God the Father didn't take away from Jesus. God had Jesus go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins, and that's what we celebrate in communion. So when you do this today, I just pray that you'll be asking God to give you that same heart, that same spirit, to willing to be submitted to the will of God the Father for his glory and for our good. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would allow us to receive your message. And I pray especially for the people who are here today that are in a time of waiting. They're in a time of struggling. And they're, they're confused. Maybe you haven't made sense to them in this. God, you don't always make sense to us because we're not. our ways aren't like your ways. Your ways are so much higher. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us in the midst of our waiting exactly what you want us to learn. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Thank you for drinking the cup so that we could celebrate it here today as we dip the bread, which represents your body, into the cup, which represents your blood. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, for purifying us and setting us free. We receive your gift of salvation today in Jesus' name.